Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zivi Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zivibooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zivi Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zivimag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zivi's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jay Vanessa Lyon is the author of Lush Lives, She teaches art history with a PhD from UC Berkeley at a New England liberal arts college. She discovered when starting to write fiction that whether she's teaching, reading, or telling a story, she thinks about the present and the future through the lens of the past. As a lesbian of color who turned into an academic, writing fiction and especially contemporary fiction where queer and BIPOC live happily ever after, she found a way to create a world that doesn't always exist. It also helps her think about what is possible in the here and now. Generosity, openness, flirtation, warmth, intimacy, relation, making things, new genres of being. When she's not writing, she's writing. But that doesn't mean she doesn't have time for red wine, white cake, feminist poker games, a good driving range, looking at art, and her two sweet cats. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your novel, Lush Lives. Congratulations. Thank you. I've been excited to do this. So thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Okay, can you please tell listeners what your book is about? So Lush Lives is about an emerging artist named Glory who's been living in Los Angeles and she inherits a brownstone in Harlem from a great aunt who she didn't really know or like actually. And uh, 
goes to New York, is faced with sort of this house full of about a century's worth of objects and life. And so she takes a few of the objects to an auction house on an appraisal day and uh, meets Perky. I think we're going to hear my cat. I'm sorry to say. Um, no, that's fine. <laughs> she meets a young appraiser who's a little bit younger than she is named Parky. And, you know, they sort of appraise each other and romance ensues. But amidst at that point and from that point forward, amidst the kind of pressures of extreme ambition that face so many women who are professional women and particularly in their sort of late 20s and early 30s. So it's it's a story about them meeting and then falling for each other and then trying to figure out how to work through their ideas of success together. And separately, really. Yes. And you have a family scandal, like in the background, business scandal lurking behind the scenes. Indeed. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but no, yes. upping the intrigue. I'm just saying there's under, I'm not going to, I won't give anything away, but there's, it's both corporate and individual and all of that. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll stick to non-spoiler anything, but when Glory shows up at the auction house with Lucille's silver-plated vase or plate or whatever it was, this is how good my memory is. I'm so sorry. Coffee, coffee pot. You know, you coffee pot. Watch. There we go. Coffee pot. Um, I had the metal. I could see it yeah, you know, coming impressed. out of the bag. You Maybe know, it's silver plate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's she confronts sort of the attitude that is can be that can come out of some of these more established houses where it, I've. Sometimes I went to lunch at Sotheby's once and I was like nervous the whole time because everybody is like dressed so beautifully and like yes. walking so authoritatively and like seems like, and I'm like, I don't, can I just get like a salad and then I'll get out of your way? You know, <laughs> it's like a whole thing. Do you feel that way? It, I mean, I don't know. it is a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, my first, one of my first jobs out of college was at an auction house. And of course this is, this book is born, not of course, but it is the case that this book is born a little bit out of my kind of ambivalent nostalgia for that particular world that you're describing, which is so kind of seductive and because it's all these beautiful objects and fast paced because you have to just, I mean, the point is figure out what it's worth, turn around, sell it, find a buyer. But also there's a kind of, you know, there's a kind of academic vibe, of course, there's a kind of feeling of of knowledge and how much knowledge people have about all these, uh, what seem really obscure, you know, things, objects. And so, but yeah, exactly what you're describing. This, this, I mean, I, I was a young, you know, I was what in my very early 20s and I, I came in as a junior specialist and suddenly it was, I realized it was quite a bit about what you wore. You know, it was quite a bit about conveying um, that you fit in with this very wasp, very, um, you know, I was coming out of a liberal arts college where I had gone to school with a lot of these people and that's why I was there. But still, you know, a very white, very wasp, really very particular kind of idea about self-presentation. It's part of the part of the scene. So I wanted to kind of get back into that now. And even your even her name, like Parky Van Whatever, it's like so perfect. Just Parky so de Groot. Yeah, exactly. Parky de Groot. Yes, of course. <laughs> Amazing. Which really here's like a secret, you know, I mean de Groot, I I'm a my specialty is Netherlandish art, not Dutch so much, but Flemish, but she's of Dutch extraction, which is important because New York, and she's coming out of old New York, but her name means Parky the Great. Well, then. I took a whole class from Christopher Wood. Do you know who he is? Of course. Yeah. I took art history every subject, every semester in college. Nice. I loved it. Oh, yeah. Um, that was one of my favorite classes ever, but anyway, yeah. that's my Yeah, my, my advisor was from Yale, so you might have even oh, really? crossed paths oh. with her. 
Who was your advisor? Elizabeth Honig. Okay. Amazing. She wasn't my teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for taking our history. That's great. I love it. Oh, I love art history. I love it. It's, I almost majored in it, but then I had to take a bunch of classes I didn't want to take. (laughs) That happened with English too, by the way. It's like a miracle I ever got out of college, but I ended up majoring in psychology. (laughs) Well, I went to a school with, with no requirements. So really all I did take was art history. So I sort of did the opposite. I should have taken more other things probably, but (laughs) I didn't. When did you, cause I had never taken art history or even thought too much about art. I mean, I, recreationally museums, blah, 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 but not in depth until college. And then once I took a class, I was like totally turned on to the whole field. Like, how about you? Where did your art love of art come from? And when did it really get, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's almost hard to figure out an answer to that in a way. My mother's an artist. And so I grew up watching her draw and paint. And I think I thought of that as sort of a a normal thing for people to do, but it also attuned my eye to, you know, just analyzing, thinking about images. And then later, my mother, when she met my stepdad, they were in grad school for English, actually, but they started on the side dealing in antiques. And that became ultimately sort of their business. And so then I grew up with just objects, you know, and so it was kind of a natural it was a natural sort of major for me, although I had thought that I would become an opera singer at some point in my oh. high school years. I was most, mostly just somebody who did musicals, but I took voice lessons and, and had an idea of that, which um, I was just saying in another context, like I had everything that was required to be a diva except the voice. So <laughs> I had to actually give up that dream. <laughs> when I did, I went into... Um, the history of art, you know, instead. <laughs> uh, also that's, that's where the pretty girls were. So that was part of it. Oh, okay. What was your favorite play that you were in ever? Oh, Oklahoma. And who were you? I was Aunt Iller. Okay. So yeah, I was, I was Aunt Iller, but Pajama Game, which nobody does anymore. I mean, yes, just... my school did that. Oh, love, love that show too. Or my camp, maybe. Yeah. I was Anne Frank in the Diary of Anne Frank. I'll have oh, you wow. Know. Yes, my camp, my camp performance. Wow. (laughs) And not that I was like an amazing actor, but then my mom was like, well, maybe they thought you were the only one who was like smart enough to be able to memorize the lines. (laughs) I mean, memorizing lines is no small task, you know, and then being able to actually perform them. That's impressive. (laughs) Not so much for my acting ability, but that's okay. That's a kind of heavy role for camp too, you know? It actually, yeah. Now that I think about it, I'm like, why were we doing that play? Diary of Anne Frank. I, mean. I know. We, I was in like seventh grade or something. I'm like, this. yeah, the whole camp gathered around and we had to wear all... Yeah, was, anyway, I don't even know why what I'm talking they, about this. Yeah. None <laughs> of these people are on the roof, you know, nonsense for camp. Yeah. yeah. Funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. Tell me uh, more about writing this love story and all of that and where, how you thought of your characters, how you developed that, the, you know, just go into that whole part of it because it was... Part, yeah. it's easy to just talk but um you know this is one of those books that was that that's a covid book i mean i i started writing with the onset of covid i teach you know in rural vermont and i was in my house and knew i was going to be there for a while and you know it was politically a really hot difficult moment and i was also i happened to be in kind of the the last throes of a romantic relationship, but we were stuck together in the house. So, oh no, yeah, for like two years, you know, as people. <laughs> but I thought I've got to, I'm going to write my way out of this somehow. So I had 
never written fiction before. And I just thought I've got to do with my so-called spare time, but I had more of it because we all, you know, we just rotated from room to room teaching online, both of us. And it's like in between there, there had to be something. So I started writing um, romance really because I was so sad. I was, I really was, I was just so sad about everything. And I thought I've got to imagine a world where, you know, these different kinds of, of women in particular, these queer women are finding happiness and where it ends happily. And it's not about like, you know, burying your gaze. It's not about um, tragedy when people are different. It's it's about, you know, resolving those differences and figuring out ways that you complement each other. And I just started writing that world. And so by the time I got to, I wrote um, under a pseudonym, a romance, my first one was called Meet Me in Madrid. And then I wrote a novel called The Groves and Audible produced that with a really fun cast as an original. It's got like seven amazing actors. And then from that, I was just like, you know, now what do I want to do? And I thought I want to do something more historical. So I've been teaching Nella Larson's passing for many years and thinking about it. So her background is so similar to my own. And, and I wanted to kind of, in this case, create a world where where the past and the present, where the Harlem Renaissance and, and now could sort of move between the characters and their stories, but without doing a historical novel. So it's not, none of it, as you know, is set in the 20s or 30s, but through literature, through the idea of love letters, I mean, I like to think of it as it's a love letter to love letters in a way. It's kind of um, my way of expressing my affection for for this kind of language between women over time. So that, you know, that's kind of how the book started. And then the characters really, I mean, it's so funny that you opened with talking about Sotheby's. The auction house I worked for was regional at the time, but it did become Sotheby's for a time. Now it's back to being its own thing. But I had so many characters to think about from that world. You know, I mean, Parky is like, Parky is a, a combination of so many women that I've known and glory too. you know, glory is I, I direct a a visual arts lecture series at my school and I bring in 10 to 12 contemporary artists underrepresented, typically contemporary artists every year. And so I've been doing that for, this is my seventh year. So I've met a lot of contemporary artists, which is weird for a Baroqueist, which is what I am. I'm really a 17th centuryist, but my world opened up when I started meeting mostly, but not entirely young contemporary artists and I just thought I want to write about them too. Mm-hmm. So Glory is very much, you know, based on a lot of these really exciting, young, driven contemporary artists that I've gotten to know and whose names are sort of dropped in to the book at various places. I love that. That's awesome. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything it might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. <laughs> You're saying that made me think how interesting it would be to have some sort of essay writing class or assignment where everybody had to write, or not essay, but short story, like something about all the past workplaces in their lives, right? We've all had so many jobs or, I mean, I've had a lot of jobs over the years. Everybody, but yeah, you have. You know, most people, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> most people have, I don't know, over lifetime, even starting with like high school, I don't know. People have had lots of jobs. It's so rare for somebody to have one job and stay with it. I have like sure. one friend who has that. But anyway, I feel like each job had so many funny people. You know, I've worked at Vanity Fair one summer. I don't know. I've worked in advertising. I don't know. Right. Maybe I'll just go and write my own. Exactly. <laughs> Those are the books I would read. I think, I mean, it's to do with subculture a little bit, right? I'm yes. I'm fascinated by subcultures and that seems like kind of a vapid thing to say, but it's, but because no, like, I love food, you know, well, I don't love all food, but I like, I don't love all subcultures, but I think, you know, a lot of them are so interesting. I have a friend who is an animator, but she goes every year to Montreal for Formula One racing. And uh, like, what is that about? You know, and she was just telling me all about, you know, all the people I thought that would be a book, you know, so yeah. I agree. I love it. I love thinking about work yeah. cultures, especially. Especially in these like glamorous things, like your characters, <laughs> glamorous places where you're like, how is that happening? You know? Yeah. Like yeah. that's not what my hair looks like today. Do you know what I mean? Like, is I like yeah, I'm not I'm not wearing vintage Chanel every day, that's for sure. Hockey <laughs> is part of it too. I like thinking about, you know, I like thinking about fashion quite a bit. It comes into everything I write. Do you like thinking about it or you like find like how where are we on the fashion thing? Because I am not a particularly fashion forward person at all. No, I mean, you know, I see I see you in your dresses on your on your posts. Um <laughs> You've got, you've got your look going for sure. I mean, I'm interested in, you know, kind of traditional Italian Ferragamo, vintage Ferragamo. And, you know, uh, Azealia Banks just has a, a song that just came out that's like, lists all the things that I like, you know, like I do, I do. You might not know it to look at me 
But I'm very interested in especially vintage, but and especially like, you know, old school Gucci and those kinds of designers. And I, I, I follow it in my own way and I perform it in my own way, but not in the way of, you know, selling sunset, not in the way of, <laughs> of the gown. Or to write in, that's for sure. <laughs> my latest dress I was in was from Zara, FYI, in my Instagram. I mean, so. And you rocked it, I'm sure. So. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wait, so tell me about your publishing journey and why you picked your imprint. I mean, you ask like, how did I pick them? Well, goodness, you know, uh, Roxanne Gay picked picked this book and what a day in my life that was. You know, this is her first, this is her her new imprint for with Grove Atlantic. And these are the first three books. And the first one just came out a, a little while ago, Ani Coyote's. Um, and then he sang a lullaby, which is a beautiful book. And then there's me, and then there's Lindsay Hunter coming after me. And, and so we're like this little team. We're we're really, it's really fun because we're like a little tiny cohort and we love each other, I think, you know. Oh, but three very different writers, three very different books. But you know, yeah, Ani Coyote was unagented. I had an agent, and we thought, let's see if maybe this would interest Roxanne. And she came back and wanted it. And, you know, what a what a life-changing experience. I've I've admired her writing. I've admired her as a public figure, as a as a public intellectual, as a person who says the hard things and and you know has the courage of her commitments. And then she wanted this book. So it was, you know, astounding and it is astounding. And I'm I think one thing that people sometimes think when someone like that famous does an imprint is that other, you know, minions are going to come in and actually do the editing, but Roxanne is the editor of this book. And she was, you know, you know, you get, you get, the, you get your, your document back and you know how it is. It's like, you get revisions, you get suggestions yes. and you're, you're thinking like, here's Roxanne Gay saying, Oh, that's not working or, Oh, this is good. Do more of that. You know? And, and she was completely hands-on. And so it was really exciting. And she helped me become a better writer, I think, as you know, you always you always hope your editor is going to do that, make your book better, but also make you better for the next one, you know, yeah. and I, yeah. I learned a lot in um, working with her. So I could go on, but you know, it's like, suddenly, suddenly life changes when Roxanne Gay is your editor, for sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Are you working with her on another book now? No, we don't um, have a current plan to do that. I don't know what her, you know, I, I I would never want to speak for anything Roxanne Gay. I don't know what her intentions are with the imprint, but I'm kind of going off in a different direction right now, which is a memoir that I just finished a draft of. That's kind of a an art historical memoir. So it's my life, my race, my gender, my sexuality sort of told through works of art and, and the, my interactions with them from Rembrandt to now. So that's kind of my current thing, which is, uh, which is different, you know, but of course I would love to work with her again. That sounds really interesting. I would read Thank that. In a Thank you. <laughs> sounds really good. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? Yes. Well, I mean, my cat is encroaching. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of different thoughts on that. And I, I think on the one hand, I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and just, I always, you know, do listen to book book podcasts in general, author podcasts. And I, I hear people saying a lot, especially younger people. I feel so old when I say that, but you know, yes, <laughs> people like who are younger than me and they do exist. And there are people in their thirties saying things like, 
you know, community is the main thing. You need a writer community. You need people to read, read your stuff. And yes, I mean, that seems great if that's what you feel like you need. But I was thinking about how, you know, as an academic, actually, we're like the anti-community, you know, professors just are cutthroat and mean to each other. And all we do is, you know, scathing reviews of each other. And there's really not a sense of like, the friendly community. So it was really different for me to realize that that existed for a lot of writers who are not academics. But the first writer thing that I got into at once I realized like, oh, I can apply for other things, you know, now I'm an author. So I don't, I don't have to go to conferences where I want to die, you know, the whole time. (laughs) So I, I got into Breadloaf last summer, which was as a contributor in nonfiction, which was super exciting for me. And I got to work with Melissa Phoebos, who is my absolute, you know, one of the writers I most respect. But Carl Phillips was there, who's a poet. And he hadn't won the Pulitzer yet, but he did win the Pulitzer recently. But he gave this amazing talk where he, he sort of, you know, in a nutshell, it was like, who needs community? And it was so funny because it's like, we're there kind of to develop community ostensibly. And he was giving this talk about like, you know, maybe you need it, maybe you don't. So I guess I was really moved by that because I thought, yeah, you know, like, what if you don't have access to that, which so many writers don't, you know, you have your job, you have maybe your family, you have your animals, you have your, you know, extended family. What is this thing where suddenly you just have all these writers, you know, it's not possible for so many people. So I guess my advice at the end of all that is like, don't feel pressured to have a community if it's not something that feels right or is easy for you to access. Yep. Trust that, you know, you can still be doing your thing. Now I have a writer community, or at least I have friends, but I still don't want them reading what I'm writing. Like, <laughs> it's just not, that's that's just not how I, I work, you know? So it's like, I write what I write, my agent gets it, we go from there, you know? But it's still good to talk to people. And I do think, you know, most of us can benefit from that. But if if not, then just do you. Do you every day by yourself just do your writing. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel like you have to connect with other networks. Just do it. You know, I think that's the main thing. And the second thing I guess would just be the, the, like, I started writing fiction at 50. Why not? You know, uh, writing has been a love of mine. Language has been a love of mine. Craft has been a love of mine for a really long time, but I had never written fiction and just write it, you know? I mean, my, that sounds so easy, but I think that's kind of it. You know, I mean, we all have to do it in our own way, but don't be, I think, you know, a lot of younger people, I I hear them also say like, I didn't write my first short story till I was 30. And I just want to be like, oh my God. (laughs) You know, on the one hand, I, a gut feeling is sort of like, what do you know at 30? But I, I know a lot of people know things at 30, but also like a lot of, you know, a lot as I would imagine you'd agree at 40, you know, a lot, you will know a lot more at 50. It's a good time to start. Why not? Yep. Why not? I agree. Never too late. Nope. I think your 40s are a great time. I don't know. More people need to say that. I think like there should be some sort of there maybe there maybe I'll google this later but I bet you there's some statistic on how many in contemporary literature right now how many people writing are in their 40s versus 50s versus 30s and I bet the bulk of that bell curve is in the 40s if I I had wonder to I'd be super curious because it feels like to me in the in the publishing industry, it feels like it's run, and it is. I mean, I do think this is true. It is largely run at the agent, at the agent and editor level by women, white women in their 30s. And so it can feel very, I've had some really great editors and agents in that pocket, or editors, because my agent wasn't, but or isn't, but but it can feel very like, oh wow, you know, like 
I seem like an elder to you and you mm-hmm. are, you have no idea, you know, really what my deal is, you know, so it can seem like that, but I wonder about the author thing. I'd be really curious about that, but I just want to second you on, I think forties for me, it's like forties are when you're kind of like, okay, I'm 40. Like I'm going to do what I like. It has happened. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do now what I kind of want to do, but fifties, you're just like, fuck it. You know, I think at fifties, you can just be like, oh, it's on now. You know, no one cares about me in the way that they did when I was 40. So I can really do whatever I want. So that's I <laughs> oh my God, I love that. That is great advice. The anti-community stay home, be alone. It's all good. <laughs> great. <laughs> you do you by yourself. <laughs> yeah. You do you by yourself and don't call Vanessa. <laughs> you can call me. No, Nobody else can. <laughs> Oh my God, too funny. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations on Lush Lives. This was so much fun to chat with you. And thank yeah, you. congratulations. Exciting. Loved being on, in this conversation. Thanks so much, Libby. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.